comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Newworth, Aaron Newworth, and as always, this is Mua Abraham Mua. (laughs) (laughs) Out now is a film podcast. Way to roll with me on that too. I didn't even rehearse that. (laughs) Out now is a film podcast as Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring a discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode eighty-one. And this week we are talking about Skyfall, the new James Bond film starring Daniel Craig. And joining us to discuss Skyfall, which should be no surprise to anyone that may have been listening to our James Bond commentaries that we've been doing for the past month or so, we have writer for Huffington Post and Mendelssohn's Memos, currently settling the score between Man and Komodo Dragons, Scott Mendelssohn. Always a pleasure. Glad to be back. And guest writer for Mendelssohn's Memos, and all-around knowledgeable fellow when it comes to James Bond, founder of the I Want an Albert Finney-style beard club, Brandon Peters. Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, yeah, how, I was satisfied with that. How are you guys doing? I'm doing very well, actually. All right. I'm good. Cool. All right, before we get underway here, let's do through a few announcements. Uh, first off, happy birthday to Alan Aguilera, frequent guest of the show. It was his birthday last week. Happy birthday. If you're still interested, you can still get some spring rolls, apparently. He's, he's, he's at P.F. Chang's Burbank. We're ready to deal out those, those free spring rolls to anyone that knows him from the show. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we, we have a... Oh, okay. So we had our contest a, a few weeks ago. We, we've had some contests, and there were some prizes awarded. And I literally just sent them out today. So anyone that's won a prize should either... If they listen to this show on the day that it comes out, should probably also get a prize in the mail today or tomorrow or something. So there you go. Good job to you guys, too. I believe Dennis and um, others that I can't think of offhand. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had the receipt for. <laughs> yeah, I do. Manny, also yeah. won a prize. Yeah, but yeah, good job, guys. And uh, yeah, there you go. Um, let's see. As I mentioned, Scott, Brandon, and I did do commentaries for a few James Bond movies, for Marshall with Love, Moonraker, Goldeneye, and Quantum of Solace, and those are all out now. <laughs> and so, you know, feel free to check those out. Yeah. Uh, you know, leading up to this episode, of course. Let's see. We have a couple emails, Abe. Yes, we do. Last week, what happened on the show regarding Short Round? Do you want to bring that up? <laughs> I think we were talking about what his hat, like, what what uh, what team was on his hat back in the 1950s, 60s. and um, Or was, earlier than that. That's It's Temple of Doom, Abe. This is, 19, oh, this is oh, 19, 1930s. 30s, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we kind of do a discussion about Short Round. And we got an email from Kyle Ross. We got an email from Kyle Ross. And while I believe Abe, Allen, and I... We settled on the fact that it was a Yankees hat. We got this email from Kyle, which reads, Sorry, guys, but Short Round wears a New York Giants baseball cap. Suck it! 
So that's... Exclamation <laughs> mark. Yeah, that was me exclaiming. Thanks, Kyle. I have learned something new. I laughed pretty heartily when I read that. It was. It was. It is, in fact, a New York Giants baseball gap, so there There you go. There you go. Credit where credit's due. Uh, we, all, we have an email, actually, also, that I, I keep, like, forgetting to bring up. It was actually from a friend, loyal listener Mike Blakemore. And we actually got a part of the email before regarding what his favorite episode was. But he also had a PS in here, and this works because I know Scott has seen this as well. But, uh, Aaron, I know you're a big Batman fan. Did you watch Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1, and what did you think? And uh, that's the animated uh, adaptation of, of the comic Batman The Dark Knight Returns. And I know Scott and I have both seen this film, and I'm a, yes. I, I liked it quite a bit. Scott, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it. I thought it was much more cinematic than Batman Year One, which felt like a glorified motion capture cartoon. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the world still needs an adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, but I thought it was a pretty good one. And the best thing I can say is I was looking forward to part two. I agree with those sentiments completely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, all right. I think that's good. Uh, you know, iTunes reviews and ratings. Always good to get those. It helps out the show. A couple seconds on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Maybe even type out a sentence. We're happy to get all that. So thank you for anyone that does that. And, you know. So let's let's move on now. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a few questions to kind of set the tone for the podcast to better get to know everybody. And I'm gonna let Abe start this one off this week. Cool. All right, Brandon. Yes. What is the neatest Bond gadget that you wish you had? Oh. Sorry, that's seriously your question. That is my yeah. exact question. <laughs> See, the thing is, I've never seen any of the Bond films, so I'm actually really interested in this answer. It's exactly my question that I had. So now I have to check. Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the charm and swagger of Roger Moore. The charm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've I've always liked the clicky pen from Goldeneye. Now, would you want to get like like a pack of them? So you, you know, because you use one, then you're like, well, now I'm out of pens. Like, yeah, I'd probably take a good pack. Get like a five pack at Costco. <laughs> I was just at Costco. Did they have pens on sale? No. <laughs> I was looking too. So Brandon, we do like a round robin. So now it'd be your turn to ask somebody else a question. Okay. Well, uh, Aaron. Yep. Which of the following um, booby trap houses do you find most uh, uh Challenge, which would be most challenging, and which aspect of it would be your reason? The McAllister House from Home Alone, the Thompson House from Nightmare on Elm Street, or the the House in Skyfall? Huh. Well, let's see. I mean, the House in Skyfall, I feel like if I were to encounter a trap in there, that means I'm dead. So, like, there's not much, like, suffering. It's more like, oh, my God, this is not good because now I'm not alive anymore. The McAllister House just seems like a house of pain. If I house around... <laughs> By House of Pain, I, I am referring, of course, to Jump Around. The song. Jump Around, yeah. <laughs> but, no, the, the house, yeah, McCallor, I'm not even going to Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm, I'm done with that. How, that the McCallor's House, that movie always makes me feel bad for Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern because paint cans to the face at high velocity leave marks, and they're painful. It's just his gold tooth. Yeah, or let alone, like, scalding your hand on a doorknob or... Getting your hair lit on fire with a blowtorch. Yeah, yeah, that movie just seems painful to me every time I watch it. Even when I was a kid, I was never, like, crazy into it because I'm like, God, that just seems terrible for those people. Those, those <laughs> poor thieves, yes. Having a nail ejected into the bottom of your foot, like, that's a horrible thing to happen. He deserved it. He shouldn't have taken off his shoes. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's Daniel Stern, guys. Come on, Wonder Years. Yeah, the voice of the Wonder Years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Scott. Yes. What is your favorite Bond automobile? Oh, dear. Uh, that red car that Xenianatop drives in the opening <laughs> act of GoldenEye. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Some flashiness, huh, Scott? I'm sorry? That's for the flashiness. Huh? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Abe. Yes. You mentioned that you're, you're, you haven't seen that many Bond films, correct? Correct. Uh, how many have you, how many have you seen? I mean, uh, I've seen, uh, Casino Royale, Bits of Quantum, Skyfall, and From Russia with Love. Um... Okay, since you're you're a newbie in the Sean Connery way, uh, what do you like better, Sean Connery or Daniel Craig? I'm not gonna lie, I do like Sean Connery a lot, just because he's so suave, and he's uh, he's got that little smirk about him whenever he talks to the women. You so, see, yeah. that's that's the power of Connery. Like you've seen three Daniel Craig films, but you're still like Connery's the man. Like how? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Craig is very, you know, he's dark and he's. Well, he, he hasn't seen he hasn't seen Diamonds Are Forever yet. Or Die Another Day. No, I haven't. So. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd go with Connery. You know, he's a he's an iconic Bond. <laughs> All right, Scott, right back at you. Okay. Q chooses a museum to give Bond a device in this new Skyfall film. If you had to give someone a new gadget what location would you choose oh that's dear. an interesting question i like that disney quest disney quest just an excuse to go back there <laughs> where where is disney quest it is in florida's walt disney world area it is basically a giant indoor video game virtual reality center with a whole buttload of free 80s 90s video games uh you think they have fixed felix there uh, they like, probably do now. Uh, now they probably do. You're saying they didn't time travel back and put it there then? <laughs> <laughs> if they did, I missed it. Okay. Uh, I went there f- uh, five years ago, and it was my favorite part of our week-long honeymoon in, in Disney World. So I would love to go back, and if I can do it on business and put it on the company tab, great. <laughs> That's a good place. Nobody would bother you at all. They'd just be exactly. It's on their video games. Um. Uh, Abe, I mean, uh, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, we've all seen all the Bond films. What film do you wish had a different Bond actor in it, and perhaps why? <laughs> well, the Honor Majesty's Secret Service, easily. Ow. And, well, you gave me that. You set me up. I, uh, I mean, I, Honor Majesty's Secret Service has many things that I really admire about it, and it's I do not like George Lazenby as James Bond in that movie. It's not like I, – I'm not like, hey, he's okay. No, I just don't like him in that movie. I think he, he literally brings that film down from what it could have been. I'm not saying Connery would have forked in that role better, but if they needed to get somebody else, George, George Lazenby was not the person that was filling those shoes properly. I think it has good action. I think it has a great story, and the Bond girl is among the best with Diana Rigg there. But I really feel like he he takes that movie away from being one of the best Bond films. Fair enough. I'm trying to think of what my other answers would be. Honestly, I don't have any. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Yes. Which Bond villain had the best over-the-top plan against the world? Um. Or which one? You, which one? You, which one are you signing on with? Which one are you like? You know what? I like that crazy plan. Um. Uh, well. Uh. 
Oh, man. Uh, over the top play. Uh, let's go with uh, Sean Bean Goldeneye because he's, you know, blanking out everything and taking some cash with him. So if it works, he's got some money, he got his revenge, and Europe is in a financial crisis. There, there you go. <laughs> Which will make his pounds almost useless. All right. Um, Scott. Yes. Similar to your question, uh, but take each Bond and place them in a different movie you think they'd work. Uh, different Bond film that they would work. You mean, is that a general question? Would they work? For example, would you... I would I would say I would put George Lazenby in Diamonds Are Forever. Huh. If he had, so, I guess if he had a second because chance. It, yeah. Because it builds continuity with Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. So, uh, no, I, I can go with that. Um, and he would have a second chance, I guess, to make himself seem like a viable bond yes um you know actually on that scale just because i think he's a better actor portraying that kind of grief i mean this is impossible to involve time travel but i would love to see pierce brosnan's version of Dan diamonds are forever you know pierce brosnan to be the one who deals with the immediate aftermath of his wife being murdered partially because you know he was a widow at a somewhat young age uh widower excuse me mm -hmm. um but Aside from, in terms of relatively plausible opportunities for that. It doesn't uh, have to be plausible, but. <laughs> I'd love to see Timothy Dalton in The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh. <laughs> hmm. If only to see what that would be like. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, well. <laughs> or, okay, fine, you know, Timothy no, Dalton is on the south. I have no say in this. I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not my problem. Uh, <laughs> my second favorite Bond movie, so that's why it hit me so hard. Um, All right. Cool. Or, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, or maybe Timothy Dalton for your eyes only. Um, I just, Timothy Dalton is such a wild card because his run was so weird that I constantly wonder what he would be like had he come along during a different time period in the series. Well, if you move up A View to a Kill to, like, after The Living Daylights, so you have the same story, but you have Timothy Dalton in the role. Oh, yeah. Be, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be my place to put Dalton as the plus you have you to kill. Plus you have yeah, plus you have Timothy Dalton versus Christopher Walken. That just seems like a cool villain battle. Uh -oh. <laughs> All right, so I think that's everybody, and that's how we play. No, everybody. Let's uh, get to some out now quickies. TM. TM. Um, out now quickies is where we talk about one or one move, one or so movies that we might have seen also in the week. A lot of movies come out every week, and we don't get to review all of them, so we figure why not have a section devoted to quick talks about a movie that we might have seen. I have, I have two. Um, I saw Silver Linings Playbook this past week. That comes out later on, and that stars Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And I, th I don't know if we're going to review it or not, Abe, on like a full show, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but I'm going to say mm -hmm. I liked it, but I'm bringing it up mainly because I got to review it with uh, Just Seen It, which uh, has friends of the show, awesome. Liz Manichel. And um, yeah, so I got to film on their show with them yesterday, and so that should be out in a couple weeks. So I just wanted to... Shout out Just Seen It, because we like those guys. They're good friends of the show. Yeah. And the other movie, Abe, I got to see Miami Connection. I was very uh, I was very uh, jealous that you got to see that. Miami Connection, for those who are not aware, and thank also thank you, Joe Jans, for bringing this to our attention. Um, <laughs> Miami Connection is a movie from the 80s, which someone at Draft House Films must have found and was like, everyone needs to see this, because it is basically, <laughs> it is basically a... What what seems like it could have been a drive-in campy classic that has like never found its love until now because this movie 
it's been, we've brought this up in the trailer in the trailer talk before, but basically the movie is about a band that all the members of the band are black belts in taekwondo, <laughs> and they get into a face-off against ninjas in, in Miami. And the movie is completely ridiculous and like wildly badly acted the soundtrack's complete 80s the the action in the movie's like over the top in a very fun way they they had midnight shows of this movie this past friday and i can only hope that it gets like becomes like a midnight cult movie to like watch because it's very very enjoyable it, it, one of the, awesome. one of the more entertaining screenings i got to be a part of in a while also before the movie started the star of the movie grandmaster Grandmaster T.K. Wong, I believe is his name. He had a whole martial arts demonstration on stage before the movie was started. That's how insane this movie presentation was. <laughs> Abe, you missed out. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not yeah. Should have been in L.A. Oh, my God. But, yeah, that movie's called Miami Connection. It is it is wildly entertaining. <laughs> so, there you go. Cool. Abe, do you have anything? What's yeah, actually, you got you didn't watch this week? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch any TV this week. I actually caught up with uh, Man of the Iron Fist. It was okay. Um, I know that came out like a couple weeks ago, but I just finally got to see it. You know, the action sequences were pretty cool. Some of the storyline was a little weird, but yeah, it was okay. Russell Crowe is pretty great in that movie. I would say so, yes. He's having fun. Uh, yeah, it absolutely looks like he is having fun. And the soundtrack by RZA is very good. Yeah, I liked how they had the uh, the intro song with the credits was fantastic because I love that song. Yeah, for sure. And I would, I can't repeat it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, any uh, quickies? Well, I, I did see Lincoln, but I know you guys are going to talk about that next week, so I don't want to say too much other than it was very good. Um, it was very funny. It was very well acted by pretty much everybody. And I think it's a clear example of a film that would have been even better if they had just kept their eye on the ball. Um, my, big, my only real problem with it is they spent too much time trying to you know, do the whole, oh, he loves his family, or he, you know, he has family problems that makes him more relatable. When the the meat of the story, which is the inside baseball political drama about abolishing slavery is far more interesting than the, you know, him and his wife arguing or, Oh no, my son wants to go to war against my you know permission. Um, the other thing I saw was, uh, Amber alert, which is a terrible film. <laughs> it was one of those. And, you know, I, 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 the only reason I'm even bringing it up is it's a film that I'd never even heard of until the people who were doing the marketing of it brought it to my attention. Here's a press release. This is available. You want to review it. So I think, okay, this is something my wife might enjoy. So I sent her the, you know, we got it on video on demand. We watched it and it, it's a found footage movie about two people. Well, two people plus a third who's filming that recognize a car from an Amber Alert and they decide to follow the car. And that's pretty much all that happens for a good 80 minutes of the film. And it's about an 80 minute film. Uh, there's no tension. There's no suspense. The characters are paper thin. The and the film basically advertises by virtue of its zero, you know non-existent budget that nothing interesting is going to happen. Uh, two things: a, this is the kind of film that makes found footage films look bad on principle, mm. because it takes an idea that frankly could have been an interesting film. You know, the idea of people discovering that hey, look, that car in front of us probably kidnapped the child. Let's go follow it, and then oh my god, horrible things happen. You know, that might have been a great horror film in a more traditional, you know, uh, narrative. Um, so, you know, it's kind of film that, that, you know, it, it, again, it makes all found footage films look bad because it, it's, and the second thing is, you know, with the, with the advent of video on demand, a sort of a secondary theatrical distribution chain, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, 
arguably more grown-up films being released and seen by lots and lots of people that don't have limited release theaters in their neighborhood, and that's great. You know, Bachelorette, Arbitrage, you know, The Bay, you know, what have you, Mm -hmm. uh, Margin Call. But we're also seeing these films that arguably never would have been made and arguably shouldn't have been made in the first place if not for this new distribution revenue. You know, it's it's movies like this, you know, bring up that classic, classic exchange between uh, Nicolas Cage and Jared, Jared Leto in Lord of War, where Jared Leto basically says, you know, maybe doing nothing is better than doing this. Hmm. Uh, he's talking about arms dealing at the time. But, you know, if, if yes, they made a movie, but when it's this bad, so what? Um, and the last thing I have to say about it, it's, it's, it's almost funny in that I never would have heard of this movie had the people that produced it not brought it to my attention in the hopes that I would arguably watch it and give it a good review. Well, thanks to their, you know, publicity, I watched it and gave it a terrible review. So they probably would have been better off, you know, not with me not knowing the film existed in the first place. I don't know. There's plenty of people that, you know, despise your opinions but read your blog anyway. Maybe that's <laughs> that is true. Well, he hated Drive and liked Sucker Punch. I'm sure he's wrong about Amber Alert. I'm not. I'm really not. Trust me. All right. So leave it to Scott to extend our out now quickie segment way past the desired list. But Brandon, do you have any uh, movies that you may have also seen this week? Uh, nothing theatrically, but um, I, did, I finally had a chance to check out my uh, Terror Train Blu-ray that came out a couple weeks ago. Okay. Uh, also, I have They Live waiting here from a company called Scream Factory. Uh, which is an, out, an outshoot of, uh, of Shout Factory. Of Shout Factory, and they have been doing an outstanding job with their yeah. releases, and I, I want to just plug them, even though I, I have no association with them, but they're, as a child of the 80s, growing up with the horror genre, they are just giving some you know, classic films, some great treatment, probably more than some of them deserve. And uh, they're they're uh, releasing titles that, you know, so, some movies I've never heard of, but I want to get them because of the treatment that they give them. So. I, gotta, I have two things to say for the fact that you mentioned Terror Train. One, Screen Factory also released They Live, which you said you have. I yes. watched They Live this week. That movie looks so good on Blu-ray, and I forgot how much fun They Live is. It's a really oh, fun yeah. Uh, also, Terror Train was directed by Roger Spottiswood. Why is that? Uh, tomorrow or, Never Dies. He directed Tomorrow Never Dies. And Turner and Hooch. And Turner and Hooch. <laughs> so, but, uh, they, also released, uh, they also released Halloween 2 and 3. Those were their first ones that came out. And uh, Toby Hooper's The Fun House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, no, check them out if you were you know, of that era or interested. But they've been doing a really good job. These show notes are so interesting so far because I have Miami Connection, Amber Alert, and Terror Train in them. But yeah, that's an extended look at Out Now Quickies, TM. TM? You. And so now we're going to move on to Movie Trailer Talk, where we discuss a couple of the newest movie trailers this week. And um, the first trailer we're going to talk about, uh, this is part of, part of our theme for Trailer Talk, we have World War Z. This is the film adaptation, I don't, the adaptation's very loosely used in that sentence, for the book by Max Brooks called World War Z, which stars Brad Pitt, and he, what it basically looks like is I Am Legend the Early Years, as he's dealing with the outbreak of a massive swarm of ant-like fast zombies as they take over the, the city, the cities, the world, and war ensues, that's, that's what I got so far. Scott, what do you think of this trailer? <laughs> Well, to, to be fair, I know only of the book and that ex- it exists. I don't know anything about it. I, I've never read it. 
so, you know, if you tell me it's incredibly unfaithful to the source, okay, that's fine. Um, I think it looks like a pretty decent, competent action picture. Um, I've heard about the behind-the-scenes struggles that everyone else has heard about, spiraling out of control budget, Damon Linden, how do I pronounce his name? Lindelof? Lindelof. Lindelof coming in to write the third act because he's so good at endings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, just, just you know, watching it in a vacuum, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty tense. It looks kind of generic in that, uh-oh, it's another, I've got to come back and save my family. And, you know, I, I get it. There aren't that many other ways to make the character relatable. But I'm getting a little tired of, oh, we like him because he loves his family. Most people love their family. It really doesn't make you special. Um, <laughs> but having said that, the, the, the scenes of spectacle, the zombies knocking over cars and jumping onto helicopters Which really looks seems, pretty darn impressive. It does. You really don't know it's zombies, though, right? Like, you know, there's, um, there's something going on. Like, there's crazy people running around. But I think you get the pretty good idea that it's either zombies or really screwed up people that, you know, people have seen 28 Days Later. You know, yeah. that was yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. People have caught up, nine years ago, people have caught up with it over the years. Um... But so again, taking it as a as a as in a vacuum, it looks like an epic world-spanning zombie picture, which is, to my recollection, something we haven't seen before. It was sort of Independence Day of zombies. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's, and, the, it's the movie that came comes out before I Am Legend in timeline. Yes, yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. And you know, having seen I Am Legend and liked I Am Legend a lot, I was always very curious about what would happen in the first few weeks of the end of the world, and if this film kind of gives you that. I might find it very entertaining. Um, one thing I did like about the trailer is it shows you the whole, now we're stuck in a cheap single location for a while scene, and then shows you that, oh, no, that's just in the first act. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll stop talking now. Let somebody else say. Brandon, thoughts on the trailer? A um, lot of helicopters um, <laughs> and Brad Pitt. Uh, I, I read three quarters of the book. I never really finished it, but... Um, it doesn't resemble anything I remember from the book at all. Um, I'm very hesitant about it because, just uh, like Scott mentioned, the production problems and Damon Lindelof giving a satisfactory end to the to the movie. But um, I don't know. They gave a lot of money shots. Um, I don't know. I don't know the nature of Brad Pitt's character if he's supposedly the reporter from the book, but I don't, I don't, it looks like they're throwing him into situations where his character would have no expertise to be thrown into. That's kind of the, the picture I got too. I'm like, right. I was like, what, what's this guy doing leading a mission with the military? <laughs> right. that, so I have a feeling there's a possible mess of a film hidden in this trailer. But I don't know. I'll check it out. I, I tend to check out everything zombies. It, yeah, I, I wasn't sure where uh, Brad, Pitt, Brad Pitt's character was coming from. So at first I was confused. I, I wasn't sure of his, I guess, background. And then all of a sudden he's leading these missions across the world to go and rid the world of uh, infected people. So I wasn't crazy about it, but I did think of Independence Day a lot. And so I was like really with you uh, on that one, Scott. But yeah, overall, I just I don't think it's uh, very clear as to um, I guess what uh, it is clear about what it's doing, but I wasn't too clear about how great it's going to be. I will say that 
in a vacuum, sure, you can look at this as, yeah, it looks like a crazy action movie that comes out next summer. Uh, knowing the production problems and things, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, but I could I could be cautiously optimistic. And then reaching back another layer as a person that has read the book, it seems like they bought the title and then like, oh, there's a book here? Never mind. We'll just throw that aside. And they made this movie. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not World War Z, it seems. World War Z... Book-wise, I don't even, I mean, for one thing, I'm not sure how they could have adapted the book anyway, so, like, it's not, like, it's not surprising to me that it doesn't seem to resemble it, because the book is told as, like, a, as, like, a main character interviews a number of people after the fact, after the, after the Great Zombie War, and they recount, like, what happened. And this movie just seems to be in the time that that happened, so the narrative structure of the book is already gone versus what the trailer's showing up. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like they're hiding this aspect, but that'd be a weird thing to. I don't even. I don't hmm. know. So, but yeah. regar- regardless, yeah, the movie itself, as I've been alluding to, it looks like just the early years of I Am Legend, and I can only to that I can only hope that the effects are better, which they seem to be. It's, you know, it's years later, you got time, budget, whatever. And I mean, there's a good cast in here. There's Brad Pitt and Brian Cranston, and uh, who has who is kind of touch and go with the movies that he chooses and how well they end up being. But uh, there's, there's things in it that I can admire, but then you also have Mark Forrester directing. And so I can only hope that Sam Mendes comes and directs a sequel. I guess that's, the, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, world war Z opens June 21st, 2013. Our next trailer we have also zombie themed is called warm bodies. And this is a romantic comedy about zombies. Just let that sit. All right. It stars Nicholas Holt, who was a boy and about a boy, because that's the name I remember. And um, he is a zombie in a world where zombies exist, and he falls in love with a person that he could have eaten, played by Teresa Palmer, who he decides not to because he's smitten with her. I'll just stop there. Brandon, what did you think of this trailer? Um, well, uh, at first... First look of like hearing about the movie before the trailer got released, I was like, eh, I don't know about this. But then I saw the director, uh, was it Jonathan Jonathan Levine, who did Fifty uh, Fifty, and yeah. a little film I like called uh, All the Boys Love. Well, I was talking about All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. Uh, all right, yeah, um, yeah. I, I never, I haven't seen the Wackness, but uh, I looked at it and I'm kind of intrigued by it. Um, I like that it has Rob Corddry. Um, but it might end up being something that's not my cup of tea, but based on director and like I said, zombies before, um, I'm willing to give it a shot. All right. Scott. Um, I thought the trailer got better as it went along. I thought the, the initial, again, kind of like a very trite, you know, the, the, the zombie is interesting and the girl is just surprised to be one. I like the idea tossing in the trailer that by being, you know, being around human beings and being treated as a human being, they in turn become more human. I mean, that's an idea that's frankly rife with with social subtext. I don't know whether the film's going to deal with any of that or not. Uh, you know, the idea that if you don't treat a monster as a monster, they're not a monster anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm a huge fan of Fifty Fifty. Uh, knocked my socks off. It was one of my very favorite films of the year, of of last year. Um, so he has won my, any you know he has he has my benefit of the doubt. Uh, I like Teresa Palmer. I think she's often better than the material that she's in. Sorcerer's Apprentice. 
Uh, yeah, which I, I liked. I liked that one. I, I didn't mind that movie, uh, actually. I, I was, uh, yeah, I was a fan of it as well. It's fine. It's very funny. It has Nick uh, Cage yelling. Yes. <laughs> um, it actually has a funny Star Wars joke, which is a rare and splendid thing. Um, anyway, uh, John Malkovich is in it, which doesn't necessarily mean quality per se, but he, at least John Malkovich will be fun. Um, no, I mean, I, I the, the premise is what the premise is. It looks very low budget, but that's okay. But again, it's it's Levine. He has earned my benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, it certainly looks fun. Uh, I, I think that it it uh, has one of those qualities of it could be more than it's definitely pro- or I guess yeah it could be more than something that meets the eye. Which is going back to Scott's point about maybe there's uh, some social subtext here that you can really get into. Uh, but yeah, it, it looks funny enough, and I think Rob Corddry playing someone who is way more mellow than his other characters in any movie he's ever been in is a, is a good thing. I, I don't mind him being crazy, but it'd be nice to see him do something else. But yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, I uh, very similar to Brandon. I hear the premise and I'm like a romantic comedy about a zombie falling in love with a person. That's that's an idea, uh, but it's the best idea. And even and thank you. And even hearing, <laughs> even hearing Jonathan Levine, I was like, oh, that brings me up. And then I saw the trailer, and I'm like, this is this looks more entertaining than I ever thought it would be. And so yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Now I'm like general, genuinely interested in seeing this movie. Like it looks fun, even though I'm a big zombie fan and I don't like the idea of zombies talking. Like it seems like something I want to check out. So I'm kind of a uh, Kind of in with this one. Kind of in with warm bodies. It's warming up with me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, so warm bodies comes out February 1st, 2013. Let's move on. Let's get to what we're all here for. Let's talk about Skyfall in our movie review. Welcome to the new MI6. I'm your quartermaster. You must be joking. Also PPKS 9mm short. It's been coded to your palm print, so only you can fire it. Less of a random killing machine, more of a personal statement. Cube. 007. I want to meet your employer. How much do you know about fear? All the rest. Not like this. Not like him. Just look at you. Chasing spies. England. My six. She sent you after me, know when you're not ready, know when you would likely die. Mommy was very bad. The two survivors, this is what she made us. Everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? Resurrection. Alright, so that should have been some of the trailer for Skyfall. This is the 23rd entry in the James Bond franchise, celebrating its 50th year. This film stars Daniel Craig as James Bond, and the film opens with him taking a... He, he doesn't quite get the job done, so cut you, cut cut a month or so later, and suddenly MI6 is in trouble. James Bond returns and is given his new mission to solve why MI6 and M seem to be in danger. This leads him to discovering a villain played by Javier Dardem who has his own agenda going on and it forces James Bond to deal with both him and things involving M and his own status as an agent with a license to kill. So, with all that said, I thought that was pretty concise. (laughs) Scott Mendelson, what did you think of Skyfall? I liked it a lot. Um... I think it's it's if I don't think it's the best Bond film ever, that's not really a criticism. It's a very good picture. It's very well acted. It's very well directed. It looks absolutely gorgeous. 
I, I kind of hope Roger Deakins finally wins an Oscar for this because it is easily the best looking blockbuster of the year and maybe the best looking film period of the year. Um, I'd argue the only thing cooler than actually shooting on IMAX is making it look like you shot on IMAX without actually doing it. And that's what this film really looks like. You know, I, I unfortunately, since the studios don't screen in IMAX anymore for press screenings, I saw this in a conventional theater. But there are shots where I'm going, wow, if you had told me this was shot in IMAX, I would believe you. Um, the action scenes are relatively low key, more or less, but they are engaging and generally creative. Um my only qualm with the picture over um, a few little bits and pieces, my biggest qualm with the picture is a lot of the, the themes and the, the subtext feel taken from other James Bond films. Mostly, frankly, three of the, the four Pierce Brosnan films that preceded this. You have, you know, James Bond not knowing if he's still relevant from GoldenEye. You have a villain that's tied to MI6 and is basically a former James Bond, like in GoldenEye. You have James Bond sustaining an injury and that affecting his duty, like the world is not enough. You have James Bond being compromised while on duty and MI6 not knowing whether he can actually be trusted, like die another day. Um, And, you know, and even the whole concept of, oh, you know, is James Bond still relevant in the... I don't know, post 9-11 age, if that's what you want to call it. Okay, that's fine, but they dealt with that in like three sentences in GoldenEye. And here, it's the, that's the whole movie. Um, mm. So I felt, you know, I, I kind of didn't understand how the people writing this didn't say, yeah, we've kind of done this before, uh, a lot of this before. Uh, also, without going into details, the villain's plot is actually kind of lame. Uh, it's very petty and small. Um, and Sam Mendes is clearly, you know, arguably wants to make uh, Javier Bardem's character into sort of the equivalent of the Joker of the James Bond series. And there are the large Batman portions series. of... I mean, the Joker of the... Yeah, oh, okay, Batman. making... I see what you're saying, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the equivalent thereof. And there are large portions of the second act, very good portions, arguably the most sustained, you know, the best sustained chunk of the film that feel, a, you know, crib from the Dark Knight, frankly. You know, mm-hmm. there's no other way to, to say that. Um, and... But, you know, it, it doesn't work as well because when you go back and look at his plot, you know, there's no real reason for him to engage in Joker-like plotting, except for the fact they want it to be like the Dark Knight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, Roger Ebert's vicious pan of the Jackal that basically said, you know, in a, you know the Jackal is the kind of assassin that in order to, to kill a fly, he would book like a first-class ticket to Paris, buy lo- you know, locally grown organic bug feeder, come back and disguise himself as a bee and kill the bug. He's, um, he's very, very accurate in that review, though, because yeah, yeah. The Jackal is a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I felt the third act of the film kind of dragged, frankly. Uh, I don't want to go into what it is. It's it's very different from a conventional Bond film, and I thought that was pretty cool, although it did bring to mind several other films that we may or may not talk about. Um, but that, that act felt very redundant. You basically have – you set up an action scene, the action scene occurs, and then you go, oh, wait, it's not over. The exact same action scene is about to occur again. Um, but again, this is nitpicking. If you're just going for a, a rollicking, good-time James Bond picture, you're going to get your money's worth. It's big. It's spectacular. It's, it's you know, the dialogue is, is very good. It's very well acted by, you know, Bardeem, Daniel Craig, Judy Dench, Ray Fiennes. Um, I forget the name of the, the woman that plays, Eve. I guess, the damsel in distress, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, Berenice Marlowe. Yes. 
she is excellent in a somewhat truncated role. Um, but you know, I, 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 it frustrates me because I think had they been more willing to tell their story and a more, you know, to, to not so much repeat themselves, it would have been among the great James Bond films rather than just a very good James Bond film. And the potential for greatness is there. And because it falls short, I'm perhaps harder on it than it should be. Okay. And I'll, that's cool. for now. All right. Brandon, what did you think of Skyfall? I, I too really enjoyed it. Um, but unlike, unlike Scott, I, I wasn't mad that they were, uh, you know, borrowing from other, or other films. I felt the whole film felt in it surprising. It worked, you know, it flowed as well as it did, but I felt it was woven of every, James Bond film of the previous 22, there was something there in the plot or a little device from it. Um, like Scott mentioned, the Golden Iron World is not enough stuff, but I saw some uh, Man with the Golden Gun as well with uh, one Bardem of, being... One of your being, yeah, <laughs> uh, With Bardem being like, you know, uh, the anti-Bond, the, the dark guy, and he had a, a, a island base far off and a woman that was his own who was frightened to death of him and wanted James Bond to get her out of it. Um, but, you know, I, I like that it, you know, it kind of embraced that. It didn't uh, didn't feel like Die Another Day when they did the 40th anniversary and just kept doing all these awkward, you know, take you out of the moment winks to the previous history of Bond. This one kind of naturally told the story. Um, my one thing when I left the film, I wondered immediately, I don't, I'm unsure if this is going to age well, this one. How so? Because there's, uh, there's just some things that happen that I think upon more viewings or looking down the road might come off as hokey or a little weird. Um, but I, I don't know if it'll play like that, but I just, that thought kept crossing my mind. I don't want to get into spoiler territory. Okay. Yeah, that's um, Would you say in the same way that other Bond films may have, may or may not have aged because of certain things that they do? Such as a, yeah. such as a slide whistle and the man with the golden gun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, some things like, I like, uh, you know, people back in the day loved Moonraker. Now, you know, look at how they feel about it. Um, cause that movie was a massive hit back, back in, uh, 79 um but you know not going into spoilers but there, there's some things towards the end of the film that i i don't know how people will look at them 10 years down the road okay uh abe cool i think that i'm the outsider here in terms of the bond films so uh as a bond film I, it was actually really good I, I liked it um in terms of being a general film is really good too, so that's a good thing. Uh, I did have problems with it as well. Um, I think that Scott, you kind of touched upon it and toward like the third act. It kind of, I don't know why, but it just kind of didn't really reveal anything that was, um, I guess, Bond like because it seemed like they were kind of playing like uh, King of the Hill versus um, solving any kind of international crime or some kind of spy spy game. But um, yeah, on the whole, it was pretty cool. Uh, I think it was simplified in terms of. Bond having to deal with uh, not having all these cool gadgets. Um, there was a lot of tastes of uh, Lethal Weapon 4 and other kind of movies where new age versus old age kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah, computers are bad. And... Yeah, and sometimes you need a knife to take care of everything and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I, I was, on the whole, it was it was a pretty good film. Um, 
for me, it did drag a little bit toward the end there. Um, just in terms of time, I was kind of realizing that I was still sitting in my seat, but that's not a, a huge knock. Alright. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I would not necessarily say, oh man, it's one of the best Bond films of all time, and use that voice ever, but I, <laughs> I, 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 do, I do think it's a very entertaining film, but what I really liked about it was, and I mean, I, we, we had a we, we all talked about Quantum of Solace in our commentary for it, and I know Scott and Brandon are bigger fans of the movie than I am, but my problem with that movie was it wasn't feel, it didn't feel like a Bond movie to me necessarily, and this movie felt like a Bond movie, and I got that from Sam Mendes, who seemed to be like directing the hell out of this movie, much like Martin Campbell did with Casino Royale. It feels like he was he wanted to make a really fun Bond film, and yes, it does have dark elements, and there are little things that make you go, oh, that's that sucks for him, but. On the whole, it feels like a fun, engaging Bond film. It has various elements that kind of ride the line between being what Daniel Craig's brought to the or what the, the Daniel Craig era has been bringing, with which is kind of a more grounded sense to an extent, mixed with various flights of fancy with Bond and like little whimsical elements, like things of. There's like there's one fight scene in particular where a certain element is introduced that you'd only see in a Bond movie, and that feels wholly appropriate because of it. And just in general, yeah, the movie looks fantastic. It's a great look. It's a it deserves the cinematography. It deserves recognition for its cinematography. Roger Deakin knocks it out of the park. A whole sequence in Shanghai is one. It's my favorite whole sequence of the movie. It's, it's just fantastic to look at. And um, yeah, the the acting across the board, I think, is all quite good. Daniel Craig continues to kind of bring bring out a, a third dimension to the Bond character, which you only occasionally see in some of the other Bond films. Then this, you know, this this whole Craig era has been doing a good a good enough job of having him be a person right. in it. Um, Judy Dench, I think, is quite good. Javier Bardem's having a blast as the villain in this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's as yeah. if like he's like, well, I can't just be Anton Chigurh again, so I'm going to be something completely different. And he did, and I liked it. I won't miss next time, Mr. Silver. Not bad, not bad, James, for a physical wreck. What? Thank you. You caught me. Now, here's your prize. Latest thing from my local toy store. It's called Radio. I do hope that wasn't for me. <laughs> but that is. And Ray Fiennes playing like the, the nicest Voldemort I've ever seen in this movie. He's <laughs> 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 not such a bad guy after all. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I mean, you have your Bond women. I mean, Naomi Harris and Berenice Mello, like they're they're quite good. Like, yeah, I just I like the actors. I like the, just the action in this movie is a lot of fun. I wouldn't say it's as grandiose in scope as Casino Royale, which has a crazy parkour chase and the airport runway scene and all that stuff. But like, it's still a lot of a lot of good and, and kind of different action. It's a lot of very diverse. And just the whole, and also Thomas Newman's score. I really enjoyed the score for this movie. I was I was surprised how much I was enjoying Thomas Newman's score for for a James Bond movie. I was like, yeah, this is a good job, Sam Mendes, for bringing your boy on board and you know making it work. <laughs> you know about the uh, the simplicity of it all. I mean, you know, the Bond women. I, again, I haven't seen too many, but the Bond women in this one, you know, he has one hot night with this girl, and that's kind of it. You know, they don't. It doesn't really linger. I mean, I guess I'm comparing it to From Russia with Love, where She's there like the entire movie, um, and she kind of just is a person who's so attracted to, to James Bond 
that she has no, I guess, uh, real relevancy. Um, and then the other stuff is uh, the action sequence. I like the shooting of the action sequences because I could see everything. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, like Born Identity style where it's super shaky cam and really close up in the face. I'm gonna lose them. Can you get into a better position? Negative, there's no time. Take the shot. I say take the shot. I can't, I'm aiming at Bond. Take the bloody shot. I mean, these action sequences, they, there is a lot of choreography, but at the same time, I appreciate that I can sit back and view it all in the same frame without them having to make me feel as though I should see these things um, from a from a first-person point of view. And lastly about that, it's just like the car chase sequences, much better than than a Quantum of Solace, because they're very clean, even when they're they're crashing or whatever. It's still a clean-looking shot, and I can still feel as though I'm, I'm watching a pretty good movie. The, the geography of the scene works well. Like, I understand where I am and what's around me. True, yeah. Scott? I, I absolutely agree. I would just like to point out that the Born Identity had actually very clean action cutting. It was the Born oh, yeah. Identity Ultimatum. Yes, Privacy and Ultimatum. Sorry. But um, that's one of the reasons I like the Born Identity as much as I do. But no, the action sequences are terrific. They're very clean. They're very, you know, he pulls the camera back. Um, and... What was my thought? Uh, I, I do like the relationship with, with both of the main Bond girls, if you will. True. Yes. Uh, I like that it's very, you know, Naomi Harris and his relationship are very casual. You know, she's, you know, she, and I, I don't want to get too much into this just because I think there's there's a misperception that, you know, every time a new Bond film comes out, everybody says, oh, my goodness, this is the most mature Bond woman ever. Yeah. They've been saying that since The Living Daylights. Um, and it's been, you know. Bond girls have been Bond women since the living daylights, let's be honest, with a few exceptions here and there. Um, but I, I did like the certain, you know, that there was really no emotional attachment on either of their parts. Right. Um, and that was nice. Um, I did like that Ray Fiennes was playing arguably the nicest character he's ever played, <laughs> with the possible exception of Major Manhattan, which I've never seen. Um, Constant Gardner, he's like he's holding a candle out for his wife in that movie. Yeah, but he's, but he's still tortured. Okay. You know, he's still dark and tortured. You know, it's but it's funny because when his casting was announced, he was actually announced that he was playing a dark and complex character, which of course at the time made me laugh because you know it's Ray Fiennes, <laughs> yeah. a complex character, because he's played so many happy whatevers. But apparently, it was misdirection. Because he's actually very warm and happy in this Remember film. That, that skipping scene in Schindler's List? Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he has such a lovely musical number. Yeah. Um, but um, and there were you know, there were things that, that bothered me. Uh, again, you know, I don't want to get into details unless I'm given permission to ahead of time. But when you finally figure out the main villain's ultimate goal, it's really small scale. True. And frankly, something that I don't think requires Bond to save the day. You know, I think if 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 everybody had just had their ducks in a row, that the villain would have been stopped very easily. Let, let me. I think for what this movie, like, okay, so what I found interesting about Skyfall is that it, um, while it's not a reboot of the Bond series, which would be odd given that Daniel Craig's still starring as Bond, it feels like this is another entry in the this is how we're bringing James Bond back to the back to where Bond status quo should be, and yes. that, in that it establishes certain things about the Bond mythos 
that were otherwise already in place for the past 50 years. And so, like, Casino Royale established this is how James Bond became 007. And then Quantum of Solace happened, for whatever reason, to establish this is how he became how he how he, he learned his lesson about attachments to an extent and moving uh, whatever mm-hmm. whatever you want to go from right. that and then skyfall brings in elements of what else is going to be going on in the world that bond exists in and such as something like q and so you're in so yeah i guess be, be, because of that you're like you're you're stripping away the idea of having a crazy megalomaniac villain for the sake of having a more personal aspect handed into this series so you can so in bond four then we're gonna get like the villain that has a giant space station with the super rope that connects to atlantis that he slides back and forth on and tries to take over the world with or something like just something crazy out of left field like Hank scorpio and now that we've had yeah exactly and now and now that we've had now that we've had I don't know how necessary how necessary it may be, but now that we've had three films to establish this, Bond will just be, hey, it's James Bond, he's called to duty to take on some giant world adventure kind of thing. I guess that's... Well, yeah. yeah. You know, we, we talked about this a lot in the Quantum of Solace commentary, that you were disappointed in that it reminded you of the Matrix sequels, where in the Matrix, he hangs up the phone, and it seems like, okay, the movie's over, he's going to save you know, Zion, and, you know, going to destroy the Matrix. And then the Matrix Reloaded is like, oh, well, he's back to sort of being, you know, the underdog again, for lack of a better word. And yes, that's true with Quantum of Solace. And I would say the same thing with this film, which is that, you know, at the end of Quantum Casino Royale, ooh, now he's James Bond, yay. The end of Quantum of Solace, ooh, now he's James Bond, yay. You know, but then at the, in the beginning of this film, we're like, oh, wait, he's still not James Bond yet. Ugh. And it bothered me less in Quantum of Solace because there was at least still sort of a, a reason for him to not be whole yet because he's still mourning the death of Vesper whose last name escapes me. Vesper Lind. Thank you, Vesper Lind. But, it, you know, he's dealt with that in, in you know, uh, the end of Quantum of Solace. And in this film, which theoretically he's been aged up quite a bit, and it almost feels like you went from the beginning of his career to the almost arguably the end of his career, mm-hmm. and he's still learning how to be James Bond. Yeah. Well, yeah, like it's, uh, <clears throat> like, at the, like you said with this one, but this one kind of tricks you into that because you kind of feel like, you feel like you're already immersed in this world already True. And only to find out that oh oh nope here we go here we go now we're starting so i mean like, to be it, yeah because it throws you into a whole sequence of like i gotta you gotta get this or else this happens then because something doesn't happen everything crazy it seems like that could possibly happen because of this happens but then you dwindle it down and it's like there's one common denominator and that is actually something that's much more personal than you yeah. have expected like yeah. nothing nothing in this movie made me feel like he was you know any point starting out i felt like i was with the seasoned yeah. vet until the end told me otherwise yeah and and you know without going into details about the end again since we're seeing what theoretically and this isn't so this is not a spoiler anyone that hasn't seen the film the last james bond story you know it's like wait a minute he's, he's sort of we're being reintroduced into the world of james bond but this is you know he's almost near retirement age at this point basically so again it's sort of like we missed the middle of the story or, again, there's sort of, as, as you said, Aaron, we've had basically three reboots in a row. Um, and I, you know, watching the film, and, and this isn't so much a criticism of the film as it is, do you think that having a, you know, Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker-type film with Daniel Craig is going to work? Now, you pointed this out in your review, and I found that to be interesting, because I, I agree with you. I, I would say that having Daniel Craig in the role of that guy who's, say, who's going on an out-of-this-world adventure to an extent, or, like... 
Yeah, I don't think, I think it's necessary to have these kind of movies as opposed to the Roger Moore type movies where you have them going on those kind of adventures because Daniel Craig and what how his Bond is being written and how he's playing him, he seems more suited to a more close quarter kind of action setting as opposed to a broad and gigantic in scope action setting. So I get, I guess like, yes, the villain's plot in this movie is very, it's very straightforward in terms of what he's trying to do. But, and I, and so, yes, I think Daniel Craig is, he's more suited to something like this kind of thing than something grander. So I, I get, yeah, I'll be curious to see what, you know, (laughs) the, the, the spy who met me last supper, (laughs) potential title thought <laughs> I'll, I'll be i'll be curious i'll be curious if that one is going to be grander in scale not or or now that we've had these three introductions to the bond character in a row or if it's going to be another hey you remember this part of this is how bond got his fancy cigarette lighter episode like, <laughs> <laughs> um and you know I, I watching the film which arguably does have more you know only by comparison, perhaps, more of a Roger Moore quality than the last two films. I don't know how uh, you know, comfortable is too strong of a word, but I don't know how comfortable I was seeing how much I bought Daniel Craig doing these larger-than-life Roger Moore-type stunts. Like when he's there's a scene where he's sort of riding an elevator, and it's such a you know it's a normal stunt any action star could do it, but it's done in such this grand, over-the-top way that it's like you know I don't know if I buy the this Bond doing that. Well. I, um, I, I, uh, I, I don't think they went too far with Craig. I yeah. mean, there's there's a certain level where you could go and you just wouldn't buy it, but I think they kind of kept it tame enough. What I didn't buy was during the opening sequence with the motorcycles, where you could clearly tell it was a digitally uh, drawn on face <laughs> when they're yes, a, when they're stunt right, when, when they're, they're on the when they're on ri- the roof. when they're riding through Istanbul, not Constantinople. <laughs> yes, I mean, I was, was kind of. It was it was a little bit distracting when I I was. Uh, when I, I, was I agree it, with you there because of how practical everything else seemed. It's when you're like, oh, and here's Bond and a green well, screen. And the face, and a green screen. Yeah. Well, the face wasn't matching. It was it was kind of. You'd think they could do better, but it was kind of moving differently than the body yeah. was. That, that and, reminded me of a lot of a of a. Uh, what's that? What's that movie with uh, Ryan Gosling? Uh, Drive. Uh, just like when they have like the mask. Drive, yeah. <laughs> I mentioned it like earlier too, but it's just when they have like the mask and he's doing the stunt work. Yeah, it just yeah. look like that. I, when they're well, on. and it's funny because Roger Moore, his era of Bond, a lot of it is known for you know obvious stuntmen in place of him because of his age and not being able to do stunts. Mm-hmm. And this was just kind of like the the modern version of that. It's it's funny you say that because that's the that's the that's the whole scene that actually there's I don't know there's one scene in involving the damn Komodo dragons where it's like, that's yeah, not really there. But I mean, watching that, the opening sequence, which I think is pretty great. I, I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah. Actually. Yeah. 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 I, but, it yeah, is a great I, sequence. And, and it'll, it'll get me to another point in a second, but I think it seemed noticeable that things that were ha- like something, I mean, we all know a train gets destroyed in, from the trailers. So like, it seemed like that and like, yeah, the motorcycle stuff, I feel like I could see that it was an effect more than other scenes in the movie. It, that seemed apparent to me. I wouldn't say it knocked it down for me at all because I'm like, well, obviously they didn't like do that really. But right. I did, I did, I do, I knew, I know where you're coming from. I guess I, I, it was it was a nitpick, but yeah. I mean, it didn't. You know, I I still love the sequence. It just you know, it was something noticeable. I, I get it back to what Scott was bringing up, and like, would I want to see like Daniel Craig in giant adventure movies or more of like these kind of rough and tumble bonds that Daniel Craig has been doing, like, and how Skyfall kind of. Is teasing the idea of having both having it both ways, 
I mean, I was fi- I was fine with the like yeah the elevator scene, which is I thought was pretty cool and like oh yeah and like the, even the Komodo dragon thing. I feel like this is where you know how I started. It just feels like a Bond film to me. Like a it has flavors of other Bonds going on, and I like the idea that they're trying that out. And I, again, I like that Sam Mendes clearly seems like a fan of Bond films, where he's like, yeah, let's, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have fun doing it. Like he, why would why else would you have Daniel Craig you know jump on something to get out of something that you that would like otherwise seem like, Oh, that's goofy. But like in the bond movie, it works. Cause it feels like he's doing it bond style. He go, he jumps, <laughs> he jumps on a he, he He doesn't just like walk down a ladder and hop onto a train. He takes the motorcycle and crashes into the wall so he can fling himself onto a train. Like, it's done. <laughs> it's done bond style to me. And I, I like that. I was, I was well, on board of those things. I think, I think if anything, Skyfall could serve as a bridge film to allowing his last two to be a bit more over the top and it, and it not seem out of place or just, a drastic change. It's fair. Yeah. I will. No, okay. The, the, I, the third act, um, not, not didn't present as many issues to me. I, I, I don't know. I was just wrapped up in it, but there, one thing that was kind of getting to me was the callbacks to bond films. And there's a very specific one. They don't want to reveal necessarily, but it feels at times like it was somewhat pandering to fans. Do you know what yes. I mean? And yeah. Especially given, Something that's very within the Bond series that people seem to all know that is revealed, and then you're like, well, in in my eyes, I'm like, how does the logic work on how he has this thing? And then, and then it has like it's it has its. I mean, this is so vague. I have to keep saying thing and that. But I, okay, so getting back to my main point, I, I feel like some of the references were at times feel like pandering, like having Q say something like, "What do you think we were going to give you an exploding pen?" Like yes. it feels like. They're going out of their way to kind of be like, hey, guys, this is a Bond movie. And as much as I like the fact that it feels more like a Bond movie, I don't like the – I was not a, as big a fan of the fact that they're calling out the fact that they know it's a Bond movie. Yeah. And, and, and my pointing problem... out. No, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying pointing out more GoldenEye stuff. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my problem with the, the thing that Aaron's referring to, if and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, you know, there there is – you know, it's a very winking, light, comical moment that, you know, it's actually also the first time we hear the Bond theme song, I think, which is my clue is whether I'm talking about the same thing you're yes. talking about. Yep. It, and then it follows a scene of rather horrifying violence. It, yeah, it's <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah, it's okay, because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Da, 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 da. Like, something really awful just happened. Yeah. And, you know, you shouldn't be winking at the audience right now if you want us to take this film seriously. So one last thing I want to kind of bring up before we get to our rating of the film. Bond in Shanghai kind of lets people die before they need to. Have, yes. Did oh, you yeah. notice this? Yeah. Like, yeah. He kind of lets too many – I feel like he, he kind of like casually he lets – lets innocent people die. Yeah, like he, there's, a, there's, a t- there's a point where he can stop someone from like taking out a couple security guards and then the intended yes. target of this of him. Right. And But Bond just kind of like sits back and lets it happen before he pursues his target. And that kind of – that bugged me. One security guard. One security guard. Okay. Two security <laughs> guards. Maybe, well, maybe he wasn't fast enough for the second security guard, but that poor man in the chair who we have no idea, we don't know who he is at all. He was the modern-day Bill Gates. He was going to give billions of dollars to children's <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah, that's clearly but what no, he was. let him get shot. Um, no, I agree with that. I even mentioned that in my review, that he was sort of, you know, again, it, it, it sort of gives back to the whole, you know, an action film security guards aren't really human. Yeah. You know, it's okay to kill them because they don't count. Um... And again, if you were showing that you know, Bond was just off his game, then that would be fine. No, but that's not the way the scene plays out. The scene well, plays out, he sits on his butt and waits because 
you know, he wants to wait till the perfect time. Well, yeah, I was shocked when I I got shot. I was like, what? Does does Bond usually, yeah, again, an outside perspective, does Bond usually, like, save as many people as he can? Well, he, he tries. Yeah, he does. Okay. And he's usually, he let, he's yeah. usually not put in a position where he's just like, hey, what's that over there? Oh, he's shot. Like, he doesn't, that's, that's, that doesn't happen generally. No. Okay. Yeah. Although, I will say, leading up to that scene, I was thinking of Brandon because there was a shot of James Bond in disguise before he quickly got rid of that disguise. And that basically <laughs> 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 and a oh, driver's cap. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he had, he had yeah. a limousine outfit on, so I was like, oh, he's going to be in disguise. It's not, I don't Right there. I thought he was going to be the limo driver for a second for that guy who looked like like a European Matthew Fox. That's what he seemed like to me. Yes. But, uh, who is actually, his name is Olo Rapace, and he is the husband to Numi Rapace, who's oh. the original oh, girl with the dragon right. tattoo, which was remade with Daniel Craig. Everything is connected. Oh my god! <laughs> Ex-husband, this is Daniel Craig. Yeah, that's right. I just I just cloud Atlas that one. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on uh, Skyfall before we get to the Ben Wishaw. Oh, Ben Wishaw is cute. Did we like Ben Wishaw is cute? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, it's fun too. Good thoughts on that one. All right, so let's get to our rating for <laughs> Skyfall. We have a rating each week for Out Now, Fair and Abe on when you sh- based on when you should go and see the movie, and the scale for that is IMAX, a theater, dollar theater, Netflix, HBO TV. You're just kind of forget about it. Scott Mendelson, where would you put Skyfall on that scale? IMAX. IMAX. Brandon. IMAX. Abe. Let's say theater. I would say IMAX as well, especially because it's only going to be an IMAX for like a couple weeks, I think. What takes it out? Uh, is, actually, does Twilight take it out next week? Uh, there is a limited, there might be a limited Twilight release. I'm not sure. Okay. I know, I know Rise of the Guardians is an IMAX. I'm yeah. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, the movie isn't shot for IMAX, but the way it's done, there's so much movie that was shot on it. Like they basically take away the black bars from the widescreen and that's how it's projected. That's, <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. And it, it looks glorious. So, okay. Let's get to movie callback. This is where we discuss a couple films that may kind of relate to the main film of the week. You know, just kind of big reference to ones we saw. I'll just start because I had some in mind. Mission Impossible came to mind very quickly to me because <laughs> basically they get the knock list. That's what happens in the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep, the the very list that Tom Cruise is trying to you know deal with in that movie. It seems like Bond is dealing with on the my six side of things in this one. And yeah, we made mention of other Bond films and Straw Dogs came to mind for very yeah specific reasons uh abe thoughts uh dark knight Tril- trilogy um and also teenage mutant ninja turtles the 1990s film the first one Why? yeah because daniel craig gets his ass kicked he has to go back to like this old remote farm <laughs> <laughs> and, and boom take down the shredder <laughs> there you go scott was well, it that have been true was at the end of the film well, never mind. I don't want to say spoilers. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. It close, yes. Um, yeah, Straw Dogs. Uh, although during that scene in question, the callback I kept thinking of was the a, a major confrontation between Matt Damon and Clive Owen in The Bourne Identity. Nice. Um, but yeah, Straw Dogs, if you want to be, you know, cynical about it, you could say Home Alone. Um, obviously, Mission Impossible with the knock list. they got to stop putting all those people's names on one list. Yeah, that really isn't the best way to do it. Yeah. That Excel sheet is not secure. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously the Bond films that I felt that it was it was you know mainly World's Not Enough, Golden Eye with a dash of Die Another Day, um, and yes, the the Dark Knight specifically. The the Javier Bardem you know is is arguably a Joker type villain both in his mannerisms and his the way you know the sort of you know plan for any contingency type plotting. And it is constant lecturing, also. Except, <laughs> except his scars are on the inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Brandon, you know, uh, I, I, that's true. 
Brandon? Um, as mentioned before, Home Alone, but also uh, Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and the last third, um, the scenery and everything reminded me of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows oh, Part sure. 1. Oh, that's a good oh. That movie looks, it looks so good, but Skyfall, by the way. Like, there's that shot, yeah. like, where, like, only the only natural light is the burning building in that movie. Yeah, that yeah. Movie. I like I, that. And it's just really cool. But, yeah, okay, let's move on. Let's get to, uh, oh, let's get to box office. Each week we try to go over the box office totals and find out if our previous predictions were anywhere close. A, do you recall what you predicted last week for Skyfall? I said first 62. 63? Oh, 63. Yeah. Alan Aguilera said 66. Stephen Gilbert said 60, I said 70, and even I was not right because uh, Skyfall came in pretty high. Scott, you want to go into this? Well, I said 80 back in, like, April, so... Nice. Anyway. uh, (laughs) No, it did about... It did, uh, and I'm counting the Thursday IMAX showing, which did about $2.2 million here. So it did $90 million in its first, quote-unquote, three days. Uh, Ka-ching! Yeah, it's a huge number. It's the biggest Vaughn opening by a wide margin. Quantum of Solace did 67 million. Guy Another Day did 47. Casino Royale did 40. So that's what you're dealing with here. Um, in three days, it basically outgrossed every pre Pierce Brosnan Bond film ever. You know, the total, you know, the cumulative uh, domestic gross. Obviously, we're not talking about inflation here. But uh, overseas, uh, worldwide, it's already done $518 million. It's already Wait, overseas. Really? Jesus, yes. that's huge. Yes. In overseas numbers, it's already the biggest bond ever. And in worldwide, it will be the biggest bond ever by the end of next weekend. It will probably, probably be the biggest bond ever domestically and worldwide, if not by the end of next weekend, surely by during Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, uh, it's heading toward at least $800 million. I hesitate to say it's going to gross a billion, but... At the rate it's going, it's looking at like it's looking like three hundred million in the you know give or take you know two sixty two seventy maybe three hundred million in the U S. and it could do around six hundred to seven hundred million uh, overseas. People complain uh, about movies that are too long, and yet we have the Avengers and Dark Knight Rises in this movie, and they're all like well over two right, hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what we've seen in the last ten years is that the mega blockbusters often are very long movie films. Yeah, I mean, Titanic, Potter, Titanic, Lord of the Rings, Titanic, Avatar, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. You know, even the Spider Man films were well over two hours. Um, so I don't think running time is really an impediment anymore when you're dealing with a mega blockbuster like that because you have they're playing on so many theaters and uh, so many screens that you can you know see it whenever you want to see it. Yeah. Um, unless I passed on the press screening was planning on seeing it Friday night, in which case my only choice is five thirty or ten o'clock. But that's my own personal pet peeve. I'll talk about that another day. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, but uh, yeah, huge number. It. it um. <laughs> Um, it did $33 million on its first days, um, which is the biggest mm-hmm. bond opening day of all time. It had a 2.7 in change multiplier. That's bigger than Quantum of Solace's 2.4 uh, multiplier and smaller than the 2.8 weekend multiplier of uh, Casino Royale. Now, in terms of where it goes from here, the Bond films generally are very leggy. Um the Quantum of Solace was kind of a fluke. It did 2.5 its weekend total because a lot of people didn't like it. So it went from 100, you know, it did 67 million for the weekend. It did 168 for the total, which is still the biggest grossing Bond film domestically until next week. But, you know, it was a big come down in terms of its big opening weekend. Generally speaking, Bond films do between 3.5 and 4 of their week in terms of their weekend, uh, weekend to final. Now, if it does just three, that gives the film $270 million which is the biggest Bond film of all time by wide margin, 
first Bond film to do over $200 million and adjusted for inflation, bigger than any Bourne film. Uh, if it gets to 286, it will be big. It will be the third biggest Bond film ever adjusted for inflation, behind Gold, Goldfinger and Thunderball, which did between 550 and 600. So that ain't happening. Um, now, in, in terms of inflation, it's still going to be stuck behind Mr. Possible Two and the last the Austin Powers sequels, ironically enough. Um, <laughs> But what this does do, especially if it does do, you know, eight, nine, a billion dollars worldwide, is this puts James Bond back on the top of the top tier of franchises, where, of course, is a, you know, a hill it was used to be the king of. You know, back in the 60s, there was Bond and there was everything else. In the 70s, there was Bond and there was everything else. But then in the 80s, you had Star Wars, you had Jones, Ghostbusters, then you had Batman, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, James Bond kind of became just another relatively successful franchise. I thought you were going to say Police Academy also, but I guess I didn't. Yes. <laughs> well. um, yeah, the, the last Police Academy did do a $110 million opening weekend. It did about 250 domestic, and it did about uh, $800 million worldwide. I made all that up, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is that? Is it a video? Mission to <laughs> Moscow? Yes. The, uh, the seventh. That was a midnight screening. Oh, my God. Um, Those numbers from two theaters nationwide. Oh, so, many, so, many, so many people were dressed up as Michael Linslow. It was ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, long story short, I could ramble on forever. Uh, huge, you know, got an A for cinema score. Going to have huge legs the rest of the you know year because yeah. it is the de facto second choice film for moviegoers for the rest of the year. Uh, and frankly, Twilight, which opens next weekend, is going to help Skyfall. Because if you're someone that went to see Skyfall and it's sold out, you're probably not going to go see Twilight because that's a very, you know, niche, you know, only the hardcores care about at this point. It's, it's going to do $150 million, but that's a lot of hardcores. But if you are a hardcore Twilight fan and you go to see Breaking Dawn 2 and it's sold out, you might choose to go see Skyfall instead. So I think it's going, you know, it's going to have a huge second weekend. It could do, oh, I don't know, another 60, 50 million bucks. I think it'll be over a hundred, you know, 170, maybe 180 by the end of the weekend. But it's going, it's going to be a massively successful James Bond film, far bigger than anything else in the franchise, and arguably far bigger than anything that likes the Thunderball. Mm-hmm. By the okay, way, that's all I've got. For, for any listeners that know, uh, every time Scott mentions Twilight in any form whatsoever, he gets like 35 followers. So as long as you know, if he wants to keep saying Twilight, go for it. But, uh, Twilight, Twilight. I like it. It's lovely in Adventureland. Yeah, she is. Yeah, good. Yeah. I, oh, she's in general. She's very attractive. Okay. But uh, acting, she was very good in Adventureland, and pretty much everything she did before Twilight. I like. Or I liked her in the first Twilight. I, That's another story. I liked her as Jodie Foster's clone in Panic Room. I've said that many times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, let's let's move. Thank you, Scott. We always enjoy having an economics and math lesson within our movie podcast. So, <laughs> 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 uh, let's let's get to uh, what what time is it, game? I think it's uh, time for games, yeah? Good, good, good. Ooh, that was Bondy. It was, I thought so. I thought it was, it felt, it felt very, felt very Shirley Bassey to me. That was really long. It was the, it was the, uh, (laughs) Dr. No Gum Barrel. Exactly. It was three blind mice, actually. Um, (laughs) all right. So, um, because Abe is not as adept to Bond films, I I asked him if he could prepare some games for us this week. So, um, I I hear you've done this, Abe. Yeah, I have. I've got two prepared. And, uh, the first one is very simple, very easy. And, uh, it's going to be ruled by committee. 
I'm going to type something into our chat box, and what I'd like <laughs> <Okay>. to do, <laughs> this game is called Bond as Bane, and in your best Sean Connery voice, please say this line, and again, wait, the winner will be decided the dialogue by. box? If you go and you click on, it should be on your lower left-hand side, there should be an IM button. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I like this game already. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so we all, we all see the line of dialogue that Dave has prepared for us. Yes. And so you want us to read this in our best Sean Connery voice? Yeah, and, and the three of us who are not saying it will decide at the end. And I have executive authority over everybody else. Okay. Uh, I can't do right, Sean so We'll go with uh, alphabetical order. So oh, okay. All right. Is that what we're doing? Okay. Right. Okay. Yes. All right. So everyone sees the line. Uh, this is, again, the, the name of the game is Bond as Bane. And Aaron, please give us your Sean Connery. Uh, all right. Thank you. for the, I like this game. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> okay. R, I'm the League of Shadows. And I'm here to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny. Okay, alright. Brandon? I am the League of Shadows, and I am here to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny. <laughs> <laughs> alright, Scott? Uh, I, uh, I can't. I don't need to. <laughs> um, I'm the League of Shadows, and I am here to fulfill... Oh, God, I'm t- I, can, I can't do Sean Connery. My ex-roommate can do Sean Connery. I can't do Sean Connery. Oh uh, I can do yeah. Timothy Dalton, maybe. Okay. I am the League of Shadows, and I'm here to fulfill Raja Ghul's destiny. All uh, right. Round of applause for everybody. That was great. Thank you for that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say that everybody won. I lost. So, is there, there you go. Is there, is there Bane as Bond? Is that the next game? Bane, no, there, that is not the next game. If we were doing a Dark Knight commentary, yeah. Can you type in a line and I can do it as Bane? Bane? <laughs> I don't know any Bond lines, though. Let's see if I can... Uh... Nah, I got nothing. All right. Anyway, we'll save that one. I like that right, one. Let me, let, let me, I can just do one then, Louis. All right, yeah. I am back to vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was made of fun. Wait, Abe, who won the game? Who won the, who won the shot? Everybody won. Everybody that won. Okay, thank you. Your yeah. shot Connery was better than ours, and your Bane is better than ours. What, what? But your Timothy Dalton was very good. Eh, don't humor me. It was terrible. You can All right. Find <laughs> spy games. Okay. And what I'm going to do is uh, I've got three spy slash action stars, and uh, I want you to name uh, the person, the character, who says this line. So these are going to be quotes. So, for instance, Bond, James Bond. Who says that? James Bond. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So, Spy Games, and this is the Austin Powers, James Bond, McBain edition. McBain? So, it's going to be one of these three options. Right? Yes. One of these Wait, three is this, options. Is this McBain from The Simpsons or the Christopher yes. Walken movie from McBain. the 80s? It means no, no. Okay. McBain from The Simpsons. <laughs> Are we typing or screaming? <laughs> You're just screaming. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, okay. So, whoever says uh, the correct answer first. First question. Upon closer inspection, these are loafers. That's McBain. Uh, Austin, Austin, that's McBain. Uh, no, uh, McBain. 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 That's Aaron. Good job. Upon further inspection, these are loafers. <laughs> I was going to do it in the voice, but that would give it away. I think that I think that's more Renee Wolfcastle. Renee Wolfcastle. Yes. So, yeah. For the actor. Yeah. All right. I know what episode that is. Oh, yes. You must never go in there without a mongoose. Uh, I'm going to go with Bond. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. That was from Live and Let Die. Oh, Live and Let Die. All right. 
Next one. Red wine with fish. Well, that should have told me something. Powers. Bond. I'll say Bond. Yes, good job, Brandon. That's from Russia with Bond. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this next one. Help, I'm in a nutshell. How did I get in a nutshell? Austin Powers. Austin Powers. (laughs) This is a really big nutshell. I cannot believe I'm in a nutshell of this size. (laughs) All right, next one. I disagree, sir. I've carried the bread for ten years, and I've never missed with it. Bond. Yeah, Bond. That's, that's Dr. No, right? Yeah, oh. that's one of the first lines. All right. Allow myself to introduce myself. Austin Powers. 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 All right. Three divorces in three months. What can I say? I'm a romantic. Uh, McBain? McBain. <laughs> so that one first. Three, di- got... three divorces in three I months. Am. What can I say? I'm a romantic. <laughs> All right. Next one. The film is just me sitting, or the film is just McBain. me. Yeah. <laughs> the, is, the film is just me in front of a brick wall for an hour and a half. It cost eighty million dollars. <laughs> How do you sleep at night on a giant pile of money? <laughs> Surrounded by beautiful women. All oh, right, right, All right. Which bullet has my name on it? The first or the last? Bond. Uh, Bond. Bond. Yes, the spy who loved me. All right. You know what's remarkable? Is how much England looks like in no way it looks like Southern Isn't California. Austin Powers. <laughs> all right, it's all in the wrist. Double six, fancy that. Bond. Yes. Uh, yeah. For which one? Octopussy. Oh. So Brandon's familiar. I have such fun. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking of another starting another meeting in bed. Austin Powers. Nick Bain. Nick Bain. Yeah. That's after he shoots up an entire room full of people talks to the girl next to him who helped him shoot it up. All right. <laughs> Mendoza! <laughs> All right, and two more. Okay. All right. My name is Richard Cunningham, and this is my lovely wife, Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> All right, and the last one. Finally, those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes, eh? Eh, comrades? Eh? McBain? Or no, it's... I think it's Bond. I think That's he's... actually Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, he's been told that... Like uh... First gets woken up from cryo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. All right. So that was uh, that was Spy Games, the Austin Powers, James Bond, and McBain edition. All right. <laughs> I think the winner was, I don't know, kind of a toss-up. Everybody won. The, the tape Yay. show. The tape, the tape will show who won that. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it to you, listeners. You can email us at out.podcast.gmail.com for which who actually won that game. But, uh, okay, I, I actually have prepared a game as well because I, I wanted you to be in on some of the fun here. And yeah. This game is called Bond, Witch Bond. And yeah. so I have ten questions here, and they're all – basically, I'm going to describe a movie in one sentence, and you have to name which act, which James Bond actor is in this movie and which movie I'm talking about. Oh boy. And so we have obviously five five options, six six options. There's Sean Con- there's Sean Connery, George Lazenby. There's David no, Neven. Spoilers. There's no George Lazenby. There's there's Sean Connery, <laughs> Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig. So it's gonna be one of those five actors in a movie. So I'm just gonna okay. read these out and hopefully you know this will work. Here we go. Here's the first one. This Bond starred in a fantasy about an unlikely team working together to stop an evil king. Hmm. Oh. Timothy Dalton. If you can think of the movie, that would help. 
Oh. I'll say it's a fantasy and an unlikely team. Mm. Stopping an evil kid. Timothy Dalton, The Living Daylights? It's not going to be yeah. a Bond movie. That's the other thing about this. Oh, what? It's just a movie that one of the Bonds are in? Yeah, none of these are Bond movies. They're just movies. Oh, the man who would oh. be Kate Sean Connery. Oh, okay. I, I hey, understand no, the game now. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. That's the key. Sorry, that's the key to this. They're, none of these are Bond movies. They're just movies that had the Bond actors in them. Oh. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Fan- I have no idea then. Okay. It, I'll say it's a 90s movie. Hmm. Fantasy. Unlikely team. Dragonheart, Sean Connery. Dragonheart, Sean Connery. Okay, so now you got the gist of the game. Now, okay. yes. it's, ne- it's never going to be a Bond movie. Okay, here we go. This Bond starred in a film about one good pilot hiding something very important from the Nazis. The Rocketeer, Timothy Dalton. Boom. Okay. <laughs> this Bond starred in a film about a man and his son going on the run after the son sees something at the wrong time. Gang- Go to perdition, Daniel Craig. Okay. <laughs> You guys got to go. Yeah, got to go on this. Yeah, Scott is killing. Here we go. Next one. This Bond starred in a film about a bored playboy taking on an unorthodox profession. Uh, Beers Brosnan, The Thomas Crown Affair. He's got it. Wow. Okay. This Bond starred in a film about Jews kicking ass and taking names. Daniel Craig. Craig. Yep, you got it. Uh, Brandon. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Brandon. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Daniel Craig goes to kick ass as Jews, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this Bond started a film about one man possibly defecting to the other side towards the end of the Cold War. Hunt for October, Sean Connery. He's got it. Wow. This is why I don't play screen it with people. Okay. <laughs> this Bond started a film about five girls telling you what you want, what you really, really want. Roger Moore, Spice World. There you go. And Brandon gets the bonus prize because he was... I was thinking, wait a minute, I can't think of any other Roger Moore film. It's going to be hard. Cannonball Run and Spice World. There you go. <laughs> those are my, those are my options that I had. Okay, here we go. This Bond starred in a film about a famous teacher working on family issues while searching for a great treasure. Oh, Sean Connery, uh, Last Crusade? You don't need to ask a question. Yeah. That's the correct answer. <laughs> nice. Okay, here we go. This Bond starred in a film about a divorced man going on a cross-dressing extreme to be with his children. Oh, Pierce Brosnan was on top of that one. Yeah. Last one. This Bond starred in a film about a lone cop saving a town from what's considered the greater good. Uh, 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 no, it's, uh, uh, oh, the one with those two guys, the comedy guys. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get blanked. That is correct. So close. Okay. Simon Pegg, damn it. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Bond. Which Bond? That's how you play that game. That was game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, too, bad, too bad that's like a one-time game for now, but I do like <laughs> Unless we get another franchise of multiple actors and start in the same role. Um, all right. Uh, we have a new segment. Abe, we, we <laughs> brought this to your attention. Um, it's called Out Now Presents What's Out Now. And uh, this is mainly just a callback to films that are now out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD that we've possibly talked about in the past. And both films that Scott loved, Brave and The Amazing Spider-Man, come out in recent weeks. Ah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, Brave came out. And um, actually, I, think, I believe Abe and I liked this movie. I did. Yeah, I think you and I were uh, more positive about it than the others on that podcast. Yeah, and also The Amazing Spider-Man, which I think we were all kind of – we all had different opinions on, I believe. And, yeah, I believe Jordan Grout was, like, the most negative about it. Abe, you were kind of, like, above him, and I think I was above you a bit. And uh, Jordan from Jersey, friend of the show, was also quite a big fan of it. 
Also, Savages comes out this week, which is it's okay. We did a quick ten minute walk review of. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did a walking and talking review of Savages, <laughs> and uh, then and The Watch comes out, and that's a movie that exists. Uh, <laughs> I, I missed that one. Yeah. But um, yeah, all those okay. all those movies are out. Brave and Spider Man, in particular, those are episode sixty four and sixty three of our podcast. So if you feel like checking those ones out, go for it. And uh, now let's go. Let's move on to next week, next week's show. And next week we're going to be talking about Lincoln, which goes out into wide release. And, um, yeah, that's what the plan is. But I don't think we can really I, – I think we'd be better suited to predict the box office or Twilight Breaking Down. Twilight, yeah. So that's what I think I want to go with. So let's let's do that. What Scott, do you know offhand what the Twilight films have opened to? Yes, the first one did uh, $35 million opening day, $69 million opening weekend. second one did $72 million opening day, which was a record at the time. $142 million opening weekend, which was the third biggest at the time. The third film is Anomaly because it opened on a Wednesday. $69 million opening day, about $156 million for the whole five-day jaunt. Jesus. Um, yes. And then the third film, excuse me, fourth film did $72 million opening day, $138 million opening weekend. All right, so what do you think Breaking Dawn Part 2 is going to open with this weekend? I think it's going to do about 80 for the first day. It's going to do about 160 for the weekend. That's high. All right. That's good. Abe, thoughts? Uh, I'm going to uh, kind of just undercut Scott there. I'm going to say 159. <laughs> 159. Okay. Uh, 160 and $1. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon? I'm going to go with 146. 146. Jesus, I, this, that, this is a movie. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go. I'll go highest. Why not? I'll oh, say one. I'll, get, I'll say one seventy. Wow. Okay. I would not be surprised. Uh, now, it's it's especially if it turns out to be de- remotely decent. Yeah. Yeah. Had checked since Stewart. Um, that last one, and I would not have thought that I'd be able to say that I've seen all the Twilight movies this time last year, but I have, and that last one's really boring. So. Yeah. Oh my God, but. We'll see. We'll see. And we will, of course, not talk about it next week. But, um, <laughs> we'll I don't even... review Spielberg's Lincoln. Yeah, it's, yeah instead, we'll, 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 we'll talk about auteur Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Um, <laughs> as, who's still in Breaking Down Part 2? Is it still Bill Condon? Did he, yeah, Bill Condon. He did both parts? Terrence Malick turned him down. Terrence Malick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, did, what else did Bill Condon do? What's the other, what did he do? Kinsey? Uh, Gods and Monsters. Did he do Kinsey? Is that him? Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Okay. How things have changed. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about next week. And, yeah, so there's that. We'll see how that goes with Lincoln. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's going to bring us to the end here. That's going to do it for Out Now, Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeisique.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at ysoblue.com for my reviews there, as well as my Blu-ray reviews. And you can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash PS 3 Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Scott? Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos. Scott Allen Mendelssohn at blogspot.com. I'm syndicated at Huffington Post, but just read everything at Mendelssohn's Memos. <laughs> Brandon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BT Peters, and I all my stuff goes on Mendelssohn's Memos. Yeah, I just want to just want to. You work for me now. <laughs> I just want to point Don't out. Don't you forget it. I for anyone that's not, I guess, aware. I mean, I'll, obviously, Brandon had, is writing for Scott, but I, I I wanted him to be on this episode because he did write a, a series of articles that just recapped all of the Bond movies that ever came out, and then finally kind of a overall summary article of where he ranked them and just various aspects about them. And I was a fan of what he was doing, so I was I'm happy to have had you on to the to. to to kind of conclude that whole thing and our commentaries with a Skyfall review. I thought that would seem like a good idea. So thanks for coming on, Brandon. It's, oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I've had a blast. For sure. And yeah, Scott, always friend of the show. You're always happy to have you here as well. Always happy to be here. And um, 
Also, of course, all the other all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe are can be found at iTunes, also on hhwlod.com, where you can find all of our episodes as well as episodes from other shows such as the Walking Dead TV podcast, which is in full gear right now as that season's currently going, and the Legion of Dudes and other shows that talk about comics and games and fun stuff. We've got a, a lot of cool guys that are happy to have us on their site with them. Outnow.podomatic.com, you can find most of the newest episodes there and some exclusives. Abe, you want to talk about the YouTube page real quick? Absolutely, yeah. The YouTube page is essentially where you, if you just want to listen to the main review, which is around 20 to 30 minutes each week. You can check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash outnowpodcast and check out the main review there. And, of course, email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to leave comments, questions, concerns about this Bond film, other Bond films, what you have to say about Bond in general. I'm curious to hear our listeners' thoughts on this latest film and how it may stack up and compare with the others for them in particular or not. I ran to a person today, actually, who did not like Skyfall that much, but he preferred Die Another Day because he liked all the crazy gadgets and what have you. So, you know, everyone has a different flavor of Bond that they enjoy the most. I like lemon. Anyway, uh, my wife likes <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> so, uh, of course, you can follow our pages and Twitters as well at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. All the new episodes go up there, get posted with pictures and other posts and things. So, you know, keep yourself involved if you want to. Go into those and following those pages. I th- Yep, that's going to do it this week. Next week is Lincoln. Thanks, guys, again for coming on to guest with us. Until next time, so long. And goodbye. Now, with very little editing, we're pleased to present to you spoilers for Skyfall. You guys gotta let me know what this is. We're in spoiler. Here, Abe, just I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Okay, you want me to say it with a cough? I'm gonna, no, right, I'm gonna cut this part out. Yeah, just mark the time. Basically, the car oh, okay, is okay. Like, with, and he, he did win. He won the car in Casino Royale. So him having possession of it, it it does make sense. In the he won that game. Aston Martin in Casino Royale. In Casino Royale, the very uh, the very beginning when That's uh, the car he's that he won. Yeah, he won the Aston Martin at the uh, the Jamaica when he went to Jamaica. Uh, Solange's husband, I can't remember his name, but when they were playing cards, I, yeah, I, I know what you're talking. I know what you're referring to. I, I couldn't remember. That's the same car that he won. That's the car he got. He what? had a different car in the mission against Le Chiffre that was provided by MI6. Yeah, yeah but right. he had the Aston Martin 
from I okay, I forgot. I guess I forgot that part, but it was tricked out with like, it was the it was not tricked like, out. It was like it had all the noise and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's what kept throwing me off. Like, when did he get this car? Like, when did the exact stuff it had in Goldfinger? Yeah, so I'm like, when, when? In what logic did I get? Like in the Hidden Bond movie that we didn't see, I guess he got this car at some point. Like he he turned it into his old quartermaster since he was given a new quartermaster quote in this film. Well, <laughs> the, the, the part where he threatens M with the ejector seat, I was like, really? Come on. Yeah, no. that's, yeah that's what threw me off. And then it had missiles on it. And I'm like, what? okay, that's he has this car now. Okay, I get it. But, but the thing that bothered me most about it, too, was, and this is part of the stuff that I don't, you know, my test of time thing, one, one of the things is when he's in the house and uh, Javier Bardem, they blow up the car. <laughs> And you're just like, no! The way the music kicks in there, like, killed me. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, oh, my God. It, I mean, that, um, that's something that in my exa- that's an example of something that I, I don't know about the film stating the test of time. But Well, and something that bothered me about this film, and this might be a spoiler, so I'm going to stop for, like, five seconds. I feel like we were still in the spoiler yeah, session. Still, oh, <laughs> oh, we, well, yeah. then you can end around if this is... This, this, is that one of the things I liked about Casino Royale is that it has the standard innocent woman that Bond kind of gets killed, and they comment on it. And in Quantum of Solace, they have the standard innocent woman that Bond gets killed, and it's treated as this horrible tragedy. In this film, there is an innocent woman that Bond clearly sets up to be murdered for his own personal gain, and they make a joke about it and then never mention it again. That is true. That did kind of bug me also. I mean, I get the the context that it's playing in and how Bond's supposed to treat it, but the fact that the film never goes back to address yeah. it, or never, like... And yeah. it bothered me also in the sense that, because it was so clear that this film was pandering to Bond fans, I'm wondering, okay, was the were, were general Bond fans put off by how seriously the film took the murder of its female characters previously? So they're sort of making it ha-ha okay for the fans this time around? See, I, didn't, I didn't think that necessarily. I didn't go that far um, You know, I thought she was going to be okay... Because <laughs> right after she gets shot, and, and Bond reveals that you know I'm not alone, they they focus on a, a emergency like a, a paramedic helicopter. So I'm like, oh, maybe she'll be. Oh, nope, nope. No, she's yeah, not making it. Yeah. Last thing about in spoilery type talk when <laughs> when they blow up the car and after the music cue, and then Bond blows up the helicopter for, for in, you know causes the helicopter to get blown up. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking. I said I said a lot of myself with Javier Bardem. I was like, well, all right, at least I have the car to drive. But oh wait, I blew it up. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not getting home now. <laughs> like, like, should have thought that one through. As long as we're in spoiler section, can I take a couple of seconds to talk about the very end of the film? Sure. Yes. Go. go for it. Okay. The thing that bothered me overall is that basically you have a narrative where Bond fails every single step of the way in his primary goal. And then at the very end of the film, he fails to do the thing that he's been trying to do for most of the film. And then for some reason, that's supposed to make him feel emotionally and physically whole again, where he's now, you know, he's okay now, gang. Now he's the James Bond we all know and love. Because he failed. You know, he, he and I'm trying to be vague because, you know, if you want to keep this, you can keep this. But, you know, the, the narrative basically has him, you know, Again, he fails, 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 and then at the end, he still fails, and somehow that's supposed to be the the spiritual cleansing that he needs to become James Bond again. Yeah, well, you know what's funny, too, is I I thought M was going to live because 
what's the difference between what Bond interrupted and then if he lets Javier Bardem fire the yeah. gun through their heads? Well, like, he still stopped yeah. the bad guy before he able to, was able to properly But he was going to be dead. Well, he, but the same result happened. But, but well, Javier Bardem did not get that satisfaction, I guess, would be the argument. Yeah. He also needed a witty line. I'm the last <laughs> rat. <laughs> I, 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 I agree I was, with you, Brandon. He kills, he does kill uh, Javier Bardem in a uh, nod to For Your Eyes Only. Yes. Um, But yeah, I I was just kind of like, okay, and I've been thinking now, you know, everybody's got to, you know, if we're we're letting a character go, oh, they got to die. I was hoping maybe she'd get the dignity of being able to just straight up retire. You have no idea how much I agree with you, and you have no idea how happy I was when it looked like the film wasn't going to kill her off, and how pissed I was when at the last minute, oh, wait, she's got a mortal wound, she's going to die. Yeah, I, I, I've whined about that before. I, mean, I even wrote about it, you know, several months ago about how cliche it is. Oh, a character has to be written off; they have to die. Like, I, no, they don't. They could retire with, you know, they set it up so that M could retire with dignity if she, if she so chose. If that yeah. was the choice they made. Well, and she could prove him wrong by saying, "I stayed to see my last mission through." Yes, you know, till it got right, and then retire, and it would have been perfectly fine. I don't. And when he knifed Javier Bardem, I'm like, "Oh, okay, so she's gonna live." Yeah. And no, it just made the whole scene with him and her in the church pointless. Yes, it 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 you know it's an entire you know hour of him trying to prevent an outcome that he fails to prevent. I I mean I'll say this I was I was not surprised that M died and it, it brings me back to the damn car because like she's not getting out of there anytime <laughs> soon so she's gonna die. I was I was honestly not, I was, at that point I was like okay M's gonna M's gone, but I, I mean I I feel like the way it's handled. Doesn't doesn't make it doesn't doesn't make it a cheat because of the fact that Bond's able to stop Javier Bardem before he's able to properly before he's able to exact the revenge that he the way he wants to have it done. That's my that's my argument for why it doesn't feel like a cheat to me. It's it, maybe it's a bit too much that M does in fact die and doesn't get to live and retire, but to me it didn't see it seemed it seemed appropriate for a Bond film for me, opposed to like a action spy drama. Well, and Javier, I, I mean, I loved him as a villain, and I was, I couldn't wait to see how he takes him down, and he got a knife in the back. That, we didn't even get to see the knife travel, we just saw the reaction on his face, and then we saw there was yeah. a knife in his back. Well, yeah. I, well, I kind of wanted they, a bigger demise for him. Well, but, they set up the knife about a half an hour earlier. Yeah, so they, they did. Happen. They did, um, but, I mean, it could have been in a struggle, and Bond pulled it, and... Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll, but, but I'll, I'll say that I was more worried that M was going to die in the other scene, in her inquiry yes, scene. I think, yes, yeah, I felt like yeah. if they did it there, that would have been really effective. That yes, would have been badass if they did it there. I absolutely agree with you. Yes. If that had been when she went down, it would have been fine. Because Bond would have he was he was just unable to do anything. Like yeah. that would have been amazing. Um, <laughs> you know, he's running, he's running. He can't get there in time. He keeps missing, and he's late. And that then propels him toward the rest of the film. Um, but doing it like this, where. You know, basically, he spends the last hour of the film trying to protect M, and then arbitrarily she takes some shrapnel in the you know chest or whatever right. it is. I mean, it's a very you never really know where you know, she's offhand. Hit. You know, she's wounded. She says, "I'm hurt," and then later she bleeds to death. I figure she just got shot by that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that um, guy or one, some of the helicopter ricochet. I mean, they'd never really clearly. Yeah. And you know, again, it, it feels like a cheek. Is that okay? What was the, what was that? What was what was the point of all of that? Um. And again, it felt like they killed off M because they were expected to kill off M, not because it made sense for the story. Because the yeah. way it plays out, it doesn't make sense for the story. All of a sudden, he feels happy and, and clean and yay because, again, he failed. 
He failed to do, he, he failed, he proved Ray Fiennes right, that he's too old for this. He can't, you know, he couldn't stop Javier Bardem from crashing the train. He couldn't stop Javier Bardem from killing all those people in the inquiry. And then he can't stop Javier Bardem from killing Alan. And yet now we're supposed to believe, yay, James Bond is a real hero. No, he's not. He failed. Austin Powers could have pulled it <laughs> off. He didn't. <laughs> all right. Okay. So let's, let's bring it back to the, the main review. Abe, if you happen to put this in a spoiler section, thank you guys for listening yeah, to this other part of the spoiler section. <laughs> 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 anyway, okay. 